What's going on, everyone? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Before we get into today's message, I want to pray for us. So, Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you would meet us all in this moment. Lord, I pray that whatever scriptures we look at today, I pray that they would be made alive in our hearts and, man, they would be cha- life-changing for us. I ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this week marks one calendar year since we have gathered together and I've been going down memory lane about all that has happened in this past year. And in a lot of ways, this year feels like 10 years because it just feels like so much time has passed since we've been able to gather. And I can say this with all sincerity that I I truly, truly miss uh, seeing so many of your faces. Uh, It really is something that I'm desperately desperately looking forward to in the future. But man, this past year has been hard. Uh, I've been thinking about all the things that we've had to go through this past year. Uh, For a lot of people, it's just been a loss of rhythms, right? So it's almost this nauseating thing where everything that we have been doing just abruptly stopped. And for a lot of us, those rhythms have not really fully returned. For others of you, you've had to suffer through and navigate the very fun online school with your children. And we have an online kindergartner and he loves it. He's the best listener. He just sits in front of the screen never turns to the right or to the left. He's a model A student, and we never yell at him um, or threaten him in any way. Uh, but it's a challenge, to say the very least, to have all the things that we are used to actually upended. There's also some really serious stuff that's happened. There's been a lot of loss, not just of rhythms or of friendships, but there's been a lot of loss of even relationships. Some of these losses are temporary. Friends have moved away, and those relationships change a little bit. But other losses are permanent. Now, as I was thinking about whenever life starts to go back to whatever the new normal looks like and all the things that I was looking forward to, man, I was like, yo, I cannot wait until the streets are back and I can go outside and I'm fully vaccinated and things will start to return to some sense of of normalcy. And I think there's a lot of good things to look forward to. Uh, Right now, we're planning a, a socially distant outdoor Easter service for those who are feeling comfortable enough to do it. It's going to be limited space. But in the temptation to look forward to all of the things that I'm hoping for and to hopefully forget this past 52 weeks as quickly as possible, I do think there's also a danger in rushing mentally and emotionally to a future state and not paying attention to where we are right now. In other words, One of the most important things that we do in this moment is to not miss the lessons of the moment that we are in. Now, in so many different ways, the presence of God in our lives, the the real tangible presence of God, the lessons that God wants us to learn, the growth that God wants us to have is not found in the future or in the past. One theologian says it like this, the past already happened and we cannot go back in time to change it. The future is in God's hands, and we don't have the power to predict what will happen. We only have this present moment to experience God. Now, whether it's the pandemic and all that has happened in the last year, or if it's your childhood, that past has already happened, and we will miss God completely if we're always dwelling our attention and our energy on what has happened. Similarly, only the Lord knows what's going to happen in the future and all of our best guesses for what may or may not happen next week, next month, next year. They're not really the greatest guesses in the world. And the challenge for us in this moment right now is to 
hear from God and to learn what is it that God wants us to learn in this specific moment. Now, there is a great danger in thinking too much towards the future. And there's a scripture in the, in the book of James where the author James talks about it. He says this, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will, do, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Now, James says something here that's really powerful, and I think it's a warning for us in this present moment and something that we all know instinctively right now. And I don't want us to forget about this in the future is that we truly have no clue what tomorrow holds. James takes, takes it a step further and says that all of our guesses for the future is actually rooted in, in arrogance. And that's a pretty strong word by James. And I, I get it that it's unwise for us to try to predict the future, but James says it's arrogant. And he says it's arrogant because it's full of presumptions. And, and the essence of pride is that pride makes a lot of presumptions and it's accepting something as true, even though we don't know what it's actually going to be. Now, what this year has done in looking back over this last 52 weeks of my own life, it has exposed a lot of things that I thought were going to be true. And man, like I was I was not even close to what I thought was going to happen. There's a scripture in Proverbs, actually, and it says many plans are in a person's heart, but it is a purpose of the Lord that will stand. When I look back on this past year, I think about all of the wonderful plans that I had. And I was like not even close to what actually happened. If you would have asked me in early March, what's Renaissance going to be doing? I would have told you that we're going to three services and we're going to be in PS 76, jam packed shoulder to shoulder to the glory of God. And just a couple of weeks after we announced going to three services, obviously we shut down and went online. Now that's on a professional level, but on a, on a personal level, man, my wife and I had so many plans that all got canceled. Uh, Jess, you might want to cover your ears for this part. I think it's a repressed memory right now. But yeah, we were supposed to go to we were supposed to go to Korea the day after Easter last year. We spent so much time planning this trip. It was going to be vibes galore. And obviously uh, that trip, along with everything else, got canceled. And it just goes to show that if we look for God, if we look for God in the future, man, we just have no idea what the future is going to hold. Like we're terrible guessers of what tomorrow is going to hold. And James tells us not to do it at all. So in a lot of ways, there is a warning for us to not miss out on the moment by dreaming and daydreaming about the future because we don't know what's going to happen. Secondly, I think it's also a warning for us that we don't misunderstand how God meets us. And sometimes God meets us in really unexpected ways. There's a scripture in the book of First Kings about a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet and his job was to hear from God and communicate to people what God was saying. And Elijah has this dramatic encounter with God. And here's what it says in First Kings uh, 19, I believe it says, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a, a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, what was going on in that scripture? Something I've seen a hundred times um, in my own life and something we see so clearly in the scripture, God did not meet Elijah in the way that he thought. And in the way, if we'll let God in our life right now, I think God wants to meet us exactly where we are, but it might be in an unexpected way. So I don't want us looking to the future and imagining a future state that's going to be better and we'll be well off and miss out on the current moment because we might just be missing out on God completely. Now, I was thinking about it a lot today. Well, then where, where am I right now? There's a couple of adjectives that really describe how I'm feeling right now. And you probably have a different list. Man, I think I feel tired, confused, and hopeful. Right? So I'm tired. Of, I'm doing way too many things. I have Zoom fatigue. I'm tired of wearing masks. I'm an extrovert on steroids. I get energy from people. And yo, like I'm dying being locked up in the crib with the kids. So I'm definitely tired. Um, I'm confused. Um, I, I've never had a time in my adult life where I've been less confident about what's going to happen today, tomorrow, or about the decisions I'm making, whether or not those are actually really good ones. And I'm also hopeful. I have this strange sense of, of optimism in my life. Now, that's not just me, but according to an extremely scientific poll on my Twitter and Instagram feed, I asked the people, and the people have spoken, that basically everybody is tired. There's a few people who tried to flex and said that they weren't tired, and I may or may not have blocked you on social media. But everybody else, the normal people, no, a lot of people are, are, are really tired these days. And how can God meet us in our fatigue? How can God meet us in our and us being tired or confused or grieving? Like, how, how could God meet us in this very specific moment? Now, there's a lot of reasons that people are so tired uh, right now. One is this grief, right? The loss of people, the loss of relationships, um, the loss of rhythms in our life. And we're grieving these losses. And that's just a very tiring thing. For other people, it's just all of the restrictions that are in place and the things that give you life going out with friends like those are just not available right now. And that just makes you tired. For others of us, it's dealing with kids at home. And I love my kids, but I do not particularly enjoy being held hostage for days at a time sometimes. And that's just very, very draining. They are a blessing. Please don't hate me the wrong way, but it's also very tiring. For others of us, it's actually something that's pretty weird. I found out that prolonged boredom is something that is very, very draining. There's an author, a neuroscientist, who said, somewhat paradoxically, it's hugely stressful. Our brains hate it. What's clear in literature is that environmental enrichment, being outside of your home, bumping into people, commuting, all of these things that we have come to know are, and are being collectively deprived of, it's, it's associated with synaptic degradation, i.e. not having all of these things that we've taken for granted is actually, fun fact, degrading our brains. Now, he also went on to say that we're all walking around now with some mild cognitive impairment. Based on everything we know about the brain, two of the things that are really good for our brains are physical activity and novelty, which is doing something new and unusual. A thing that's very bad for us is chronic and perpetual stress and living through a pandemic, 
even for those who do it in relative comfort, is exposing people to micro doses of unpredictable stress all of the time. Now, to tack on to that, in this past year, we've also seen uh, systemic injustice on the big screen in American consciousness, and that's just exhausting. Uh, James Baldwin said like this in 1961, he said, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost all of the time. And part of this rage is this, it isn't only what is happening to you, but it's what's happening all around you and all of the time in the face of the most extraordinary and criminal indifference. Now, when you add up all of these things that we're facing in this past year, it is just exhausting. And I think the beauty of Christianity and the beauty of the gospel is that what Jesus offers us is not necessarily an escape to a future reality, which is better than the one we are presently living, that we can daydream about. And certainly we should be working towards good causes and we should be praying for God to move in different ways. But I don't think he wants us just daydreaming about what we can have in the future. Similarly, I don't think he wants us dwelling on the past because the past has happened. We cannot change it. I think what Jesus offers us in a very real sense is rest. Rest in this present moment. Now, one of the beauties of, of what Jesus offers us is something that I think is actually one of the most attractive things about people who really rock with Jesus is to live in a non-anxious presence, even though they are surrounded by sometimes the most anxiety-inducing things. And what would it look like if people who really rocked with Jesus could find rest uh, and can escape exhaustion in such a tiring, tiring time? So here's the scripture where Jesus tells us, and he invites us into rest right now with all the things that are going on. And we see it in Matthew 11:28. 28. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly, lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, for the rest of today, I want to talk to us, and I hope God's word meets us. And I want to talk about the danger of not seeking rest, what kind of rest that Jesus wants us to have, and where do we actually find it? Now, make no mistake about it. There is a danger in ignoring what Jesus says here in Matthew 11. It's not an optional thing that if we decide to take him up on his offer, it would improve our lives. But rather, there is a real danger to not taking Jesus, Jesus up on his words here. I think about... In 1999, in uh, New Jersey, in a 13-day span, there was a string of boating accidents that took the commercial fishing world by surprise and by storm. Now, in just 13 days, three different commercial fishing boats, the Adriatic, Beth Debob, and Cape Fear, were all lost at sea. And in all, 10 men died, five never to be found again. Now, make no mistake about it, Commercial fishing is a really, really dangerous activity, but yet this was a really unprecedented pace for crashes and accidents. They did a whole lot of research to figure out what caused this many boats to go down in such a short amount of time. And when they recovered the boats, they found out that nothing broke, nothing broke on the boats. It wasn't like the Titanic where they hit something and got damaged. Uh, all three ships were piloted by really veteran captains, all with more than 10 years of experience, so it wasn't rookies behind the wheel. And all three ships were near the end of their journey, just less than 15 miles from home. 
So you have experienced captains with boats that did not break all close to home. So what happened? Now, what they realized was that these ships were actually just carrying too much weight. On the manual, there was a limit to how much these ships were allowed to carry. But over time, progressively, they all started to ignore the instruction manuals for how that boat was to operate. And they put more and more and more things on top. And by loading all these things on top and allowing them to be weighted down, it actually was to their demise. When they would ask around to other fishers and other fishermen in the community, hey, why would they load themselves up with so many different things? Why would they allow themselves to be so loaded down? Their answer was, well, everybody does it. For us, the danger in front of us is crashing emotionally, spiritually, or physically from all that we face in front of us. Now, some things are outside of our control, and I don't want you feeling any shame or disappointment in the things that you can't control. Certainly, a lot of financial uncertainty, racism, the pandemic, work, and all these different things, many of these things are outside of your control. But some of the things are inside of our control, like us not having good boundaries. And what I would hate is us for, for us to miss out on what God is inviting us into of not actively seeking after him for his rest. Now, what is this rest that Jesus offers us and promises us? Essentially, what Jesus is offering us and what Jesus is saying about himself is that Jesus is the source. Jesus is not a resource. He is the source. Now, that just sounds nice and it has good alliteration, but essentially what Jesus is offering us is not that he gives us things to refuel us, but rather he himself is the source. So he says, come to me and I will give you rest. One of the most profound things that I've learned about life is the nature of Christianity is supposed to be something that is life-giving. The best analogy I've heard for this is something that we've talked about here at Renaissance is that if you were to compare Australian farming to American farming, they're just two massively different philosophies. In America, what we do is we build fences and we hope to keep our cattle and our horses inside of the boundaries by putting up big fences to keep them inside. And for what a lot of people, when they hear an invitation to Jesus, all they think about is an invitation to come into fencing. And fencing is all the things that you can't do and how much God wants to take away from you. Jesus is not trying to build more fences. What they do in Australia is it's too big and the outback is too vast. So instead of building fences, what they do is they dig wells, really deep wells. And they know that the animals will always come back to the source. So that the way that they farm is not by building more fences, but by, but by digging deeper wells. And when Jesus invites us into a fellowship with him, what he's basically saying is, I am not a series of fences, but rather I am a deep well. And he invites us into rest, to soak that life up in our lives. Now, what is this rest that Jesus offers us? Jesus does not offer you complete um, escape from fatigue, but rather escape from exhaustion. In the last verse of, of that passage, Jesus talks about my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, in this scripture, Jesus's audience would have understood this to be like in a, in a farming capacity. And you would put two ox together. And what Jesus is basically saying is like the ox, like the yoke that coupled ox, oxen together, following Jesus does not exempt us from work, but it, work, it makes our work and it makes our life more manageable so that we are not drudging through everything alone. Now, on a very real, practical, emotional, and spiritual level, 
what Jesus offers you rest from right here in this in this life right now by being yoked to him, by being paired to him is rest from three things. Rest from fear, rest from anxiety and rest from meaninglessness. Jesus promises us something that if you meditate on this scripture, if you're wrestling with fear about uh, money or a variety of things that can fill us with fear these days, I want you to meditate on Matthew 28, where Jesus promises us that he is with us even until the very end of the age. Now, what would you be afraid of if you truly believed, truly believed that Jesus was actually with you? Not in some super spiritual sense, but that Jesus, the God of the universe, was with you. For a lot of us, it's not just uh, the fear that cripples us, but it's also just anxiety about our day-to-day interactions. And I think so much of my anxiety is because I keep it. There's that old hymn where it says, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not take it to the Lord in prayer. And y'all lucky I can't sing because I would have just sang that just now. There's so much in my life that I carry, so much anxiety that I carry because I don't take it to God and lay it down at his feet. There's a scripture in Philippians where it talks about our anxiety and its relationship to prayer. And the author, Paul, who's writing this letter from prison and whose life is actually on the line, here's what he says about our anxieties. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think what Jesus is offering us in a really practical level is to come to him with all of our prayers and all of our petitions and to not bottle them up inside, but to actually bring them to him. In this past year, I've had certainly no shortage of things that give me anxiety. And one of the things I found out about prayer in this scripture, it says our prayers and our petitions. Now, why does it list two different things? Our petitions are our requests to God, but our prayers to God have to be bigger than just our petitions. Because so many times our petitions, what we want to happen is not going to happen. So in my prayers to God and also my petitions, I'm asking God to change certain situations. And God certainly has not changed things in the way that I wanted him to. But a lot of times I realize that my prayer life, a lot of it is actually laying down my will for for God's will and accepting this third thing that God, everything that you have let in my life right now, I know no matter how difficult it is, it's not meaningless. And I think one of the things that Jesus does that gives us rest is an assurance that our life is not, we're not alone in our life. What's going on in this present moment is not meaningless. The apostle Paul picked up on this notion in the book of first Corinthians. And he says this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 16, he says, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Paul is basically saying is everything in your life right now None of it is meaningless. And the rest that Jesus offers us is a rest from fear because he is with us. It's a rest from anxiety because we can take our our prayers and our petitions to him. And it's a a rest from feeling like what's going on in our life is is meaningless. Now, this is not meant to 
rest, uh, free us completely of fatigue, but it is meant to save us from exhaustion. Now, biblically, how do you actually practice and receive this rest? I'm gl very glad you asked. It's an ancient principle called Sabbath. Actually, you see it first appear in the book of Exodus where God gave his very tired people an instruction on what they should, needed to do every single week to receive rest. Now, rest is an active activity, and theologians have wrestled with this concept for years, and this is something I want to present to you, how I want you to actively seek God's rest in your life, and it, it's four different things. So number one, stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. So stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating. Now, one of the biggest challenges for us to stop is uh, we don't necessarily have good boundaries in place. And stopping means that we cease all have-to activity, ideally for a period of 24 hours. Now, all the parents and single parents who stuck at home with kids, I hear you laughing from behind the screen. It is impossible to stop from all necessary activity, but there are things that we can do to limit the amount of things that are just being bombarded uh, to us uh, on an almost minute-by-minute basis. We can put our phones on Do Not Disturb. We can get away from social media. We can put our phones down. We can do something to make sure that we have boundaries in place that we can stop. And just for a period of time, we would not be human doings, but we would be human beings. Now, after stopping, and whether that's just turning your push email off or whatever it is, whatever the thing is that has you spun up and always doing something, even if it's texting with friends, if you always feel the need to do that, just as long as you, if you can do 24 hours just to, to stop. Now, the second thing is to rest. Stopping is not actually resting. Once we stop, we accept God's invitation to rest. And God rested on the seventh day of creation we see in Genesis 2. And resting is by engaging activities that restore and replenish us. Uh, now, in a pandemic, it's obviously limited the amount of activities that are safe and healthy. But we need to be more active in, in pursuing those things to do, particularly as things start to, to open up and resting from all unpaid work. And this, this is something that's really big. This requires planning. So if you need boundaries to stop, you need planning to rest. You need to prepare in advance. This is something that we do in our house. Like we try our best to get all of our work done on Thursday. And that's, if that's laundry, if it's cleaning the kitchen, whatever it is, so that we can have a period of time where we rest on, on Friday. So... We stop and we rest. And the third thing is, is really big. It's delight. Now, delight, when we talk about Sabbath, people oftentimes think about Sabbath being a 24-hour period where you read the Bible and like sing songs and people are like, that sounds miserable. I don't want to do that for a whole day. I think we have gotten away from the heart of God when we don't understand Sabbath. Like God really wants us to be, he wants us to delight in the creation that he has given us. Right. The scripture says that God is a good father. And it says, which one of you, if you're evil, right, if your son asked for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? Like if you've been then being evil, wouldn't do that. Like, why would our heavenly father uh, not give us good gifts? Like God wants us to delight in things. If you go all the way back to the beginning of, of scripture, whenever God gave Adam and Eve those limitations to not eat from that one tree, he says, I want you to eat and enjoy everything in the garden. Hey, but just don't touch this one tree, the tree of good, the knowledge of good and, and evil. And I think we've lost out on the heart of God that, that wants us to delight. And we need to fight for opportunities to delight in things that replenish us and fill us with, with joy. And the fourth one is a big piece. So we, we, we stop, 
we rest, we delight, which you're gonna have to fight for and be creative for. The fourth one is to contemplate. A full Sabbath is not a, a, a true Sabbath without some period, some time of contemplation where you can meditate on scripture, where you can be in God's presence in prayer and receive God's words to you that remind you that you do not need to be anxious about anything, that remind us that he is with us, that remind us that our life right now, no matter how confusing or painful, nothing is meaningless. He is working all of these things out for our good and for his glory. In stopping and resting and delighting and contemplating, I think we will find the rest that Jesus wants us to have for our souls. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, you know how tired so many people are. And Lord, I pray that we would fight for rest, the rest that you want us to have. And Lord, that we would find it and that it would be something that sustains us. And that it would be a countercultural practice that we engage in as people that shows how good and stabilizing you are. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.